Today is kind of a family meeting. Um, with, we have done this off and on, and I'm, I'm really just sensing the Spirit of the Lord to commit to do this on a yearly basis. First Sunday in February, we can link it up with the Super Bowl and try to be a little bit shorter today and um, really give you a picture of where we've been, of where we are, and where we're going, okay? So as, as we talk about some of these things today, uh, I'd like for you, before we jump into some scripture, just to bow our hearts together for a word of prayer. Great and amazing, loving, holy God, thank you as we gather our hearts in this place to worship you. We celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that amazing grace, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree, as the old hymn writer said. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. God, we thank you. Thank you for old and young, and for rich and poor. Thank you, Lord, for, for city and country, for modern and for ancient. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for the tapestry of the body of Christ, for the appreciation that we can have and to know that not one group has a corner on truth, but we all can show the world a, a different picture of how Jesus, how wonderful He is and how He's been to us. God, thank you for that awareness that Forgiveness is not the end, it's the means to it. And the end is to be a friend with God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, eternal life is to know Him whom Thou hast sent, Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. I ask you to open the hearts and the eyes of the people today, ears to hear. Holy Spirit, you're the only teacher. I acknowledge that I cannot do anything apart from you. Get in the middle of this, O God, and just be Lord over it. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberty, as we've sung. God, I just ask you today to help us remember our history, to be aware of the challenges and the problems we face, but Lord, to look with faith to the brightness of our future and our destiny that you have before us. We'll be careful to honor you. And God, I just pray that you look over the immaturity of our youth pastor and you'll be with your servant Cam Newton today and the Carolina Panthers in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. I'm really just kidding, okay? <laughs> no, but that's to offend whatever Pharisees are in the crowd today so they don't come back, okay? Because <laughs> I believe God wants us to have moments of great reverence and honor, and He wants us to have moments of joy and laughter. And to be able just to enjoy him and his presence, I guarantee you that every moment Jesus had around the campfire with those 12 motley crew dudes <laughs> was not all about dry doctrine and serious teaching. I guarantee you people were cracking jokes and Jesus was slapping his knee and going, you guys are a piece of work. <laughs> a piece of work of my father. <laughs> piece of work. All right, listen to the word of the Lord this morning as we begin with where we've been, our history. Psalm 78, verse 1 through 7 says, O my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Everybody say our past. Stories we have heard and known. 
stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation. Everybody say next generation. We'll tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children. Verse 6. So, in order that, with a view to, for the purpose of, everybody say so. If you didn't know two letters could be so packed with meaning. So, in order that, or, or this is, it's not so what, but it's so that. So that, all of this I've told you, so that, so the next generation might know them. Even the children yet, not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. Verse 7, so each generation should set its hope anew on God. Everybody say, new hope. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting. Look at your neighbor and say, don't forget. forget. Punch one on the other side and say, remember. remember. Not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. And all of the people of God said, amen. I believe that it's important to connect with our story. And our story is tied up in my story. Because when God gives you a gift, he usually wraps it in a person. And as um, self-focused as this might sound, I don't intend it to be that way, but Dawn and I came as God's gift to this community. What? I say that there's, there's no braggadocio, there's no arrogance in that. That's humbly saying it ain't about us, it's about what God said. Because let me just tell you, I was raised here, grew up in the little house on the corner of 300 South Center. Guy in our congregation bought it and redid it. Really, let's just tore it down to its rafters because it was termite infested. Dad's later years wasn't able to really take care of it the way he could. And we were all raising kids and didn't have money to help mom and dad try to fix it. And so Michael Rushing bought it and rebuilt it and wonderful family living in that. And it's just an amazing thing to me to think about the heritage of the Lord and the prayers that went up in those rafters in that house and how my mom prayed for me. I knew from, the, from a young child that I was called to the ministry. And I remember in school when we would talk about vocation day or occupation day or jobs or what we were going to be, and the teacher would ask us, and I said, I'm going to be a preacher, and all the kids would laugh and make fun. And please don't, don't, I'm not, I don't need any pity because I don't care. I didn't care then, and I knew then that the hand of God was on my life, and I'd, I'd, I've never doubted that. Um, I left here, went to Arkansas State University, where since then have gotten uh, three different uh, times of study and degrees, and that's not what my focus is on this morning, but I met my lovely wife there, and by the way, it was at a Methodist church. John Wesley is a great hero of mine. I'd love to just stop right now and teach about 20 minutes on the First Great Awakening and how God used Wesley to bring revival to the colonies prior to the American Revolution, but I won't chase that rabbit. Um, The Methodist church had been touched greatly by the early charismatic movement, the lay witness mission. Businessmen were gathering together and giving their testimony, and people who'd grown up in a religious system were, were for the very first time actually getting born again, and the Holy Spirit was being poured out 
and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and people being healed and getting saved. Salvation was the greatest thing that was emphasized and the biggest miracle and Holy Spirit's happening and my, my wife was part of that and a part of the youth group in the Methodist Church and I'd come to town. I was my freshman year at Arkansas State University and um, so I, I went because I knew that they'd had an outpouring of revival in the Spirit of the Lord there at, at First Methodist in Jonesboro. And uh, so met Dawn and we became friends and friendship became something more interesting and since then we've been married 30 years now so we give God praise for that. We, I left and I went to North Carolina to study with Dr. Kelly Varner because I really saw something in the scripture that I, that I really didn't see. It's happening more and more and more and more in local churches where the real uh, transference of, of ministry and the development of the giftings and callings of God are more about mentoring relationships than they are about classrooms. And I have nothing, I'm, I'm throwing no shade on uh, seminaries or anything like that whatsoever. I think they all have their places. I've, I've been to Bible school and gone that route. Um, but I really feel like there is more living transference of calling and anointing and the presence of God and victory and, and vision and faith and all of these things that need to be, be developed in young leaders really on a mentoring relationship. And that's how we see it in Scripture. You don't see... Um, locations where people pick up and go and sit in a classroom for 18 months or for three years or whatever. You see, you see Moses mentoring Joshua. You see Elijah mentoring Elisha. You see um, Eli and Samuel being raised up in the, 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 the house of the Lord. You see uh, David and Asaph and Jeduthun and, and Ethan and uh, all of the different musicians in, under his administration. You see Jesus and 12 disciples. You see Paul and Timothy. And on and on and on I could go in terms of uh, the, the, the scripture and then throughout church history in terms of the real life-changing transference of, of vision for the future has happened because one generation has been able to touch another generation. One leader has been able to invest in and pour into another leader. And so I was there for almost six years and on the staff and, and part of the leadership of the local church, the minister of worship, and part of their deacon elder body. And um, 1987, uh, we were expecting our very first baby, our, our little boy, Drew, who's 28, 27, 20, what is it, 28 now? Yeah. And Abby turned 21. They're seven years, one day apart. January 15th, 1988. January 16th, 1995. Drew and Abby. Okay. And um, we... We can't leave town because the OBGYN won't let Dawn get on a plane. We can't come home for Christmas because Drew is, is coming like a Baptist rapture any minute. And so they won't let us, they won't, some of you get that, they won't let us leave town because we don't know exactly when, when Drew is going to make his advent and uh, the, the, the plane could bring pressure and yada, yada, and yada. And so we went to the beach with a timeshare that had been provided for us. And we were fasting and praying and asked. I was fasting and praying. Dawn was eating dull fruit juice bars and pickles. Um, anyway, <laughs> and so I'm fasting and praying, seeking the Lord. And God speaks to me and says, this will be the year that you step out in full-time ministry. And I'm about to see my son come on the scene. And in the same year my son's going to be birthed, God says, you're stepping out into full-time ministry on on your own, out of the church that you had been mentored in, in North Carolina. And um, it was a crazy season because we were a stone's throw's distance from the world's largest marine base, Camp Lejeune, Jacksonville. And the, the general on base had basically said in a speech to all of those men, on, men and women on 
the campus of Camp Lejeune. You guys have gotten comfortable. You've bought houses and been sitting here way too long. You need to pack up your bags and get your out of here. Take your carcasses with you and go. And so all of a sudden, there's this huge, everybody's getting transferred out, and there's this huge glut in the real estate market, and people are taking losses in order to sell their houses to go to their next location. And in the middle of all of this glut in this tri-county area where a lot of these people who are on the marine base are selling their houses, I've heard a word from the Lord to pick up because we came back, and let me connect a couple of dots here quickly. Uh, in February, after Drew was born in January, we're getting on a plane and we're flying back home to land in Memphis so that my parents, Mary and Grady Smith, and Dawn's mom and stepdad, her dad had died in a car accident when she was a senior in high school. And so Dodgy had remarried and, uh, several years later, and my children were blessed with Papa Bill, who recently, a few years ago, went home to be with the Lord. And um, so we were bringing Drew home to meet my parents, Dawn's parents. And we flew into Memphis, and it was bad weather, and they had machinery on the, um, on the runways out there trying to clear the ice so that planes could land. And we didn't actually taxi all the way up to the side of the building where the thing comes out and you walk through the chute and then go into the airport. We actually had to deplane out on the tarmac. So they rolled this big set of steps up to the side of the plane, and we descended the steps. And as God is my witness, as I descended those steps and my feet hit that black tarmac, I heard the voice of the Lord down here, not audibly out here, but down here. And I heard the Lord say, you're going to build a work for me in this city, in this area. The area was the word he said, in this area. You're going to build a work for me, a church. And I kind of literally kind of, and Dawn said, what's wrong? I said, I'll talk to you later. I, <laughs> And I'll be honest, I didn't want to hear it because I'd said for years that I'm never going back to my hometown. And it's like God sat on the throne and he snickered a little bit and that's when it thundered one day, I guess, you know. Because how many of you know when you say never, God says, yeah, you don't have everything that you think you know, young man. Um, for a few years here after we first planted, I kept saying I'll never plant a church in Hawaii, I'll never plant a church in Hawaii. And I guess when you figure out you don't do it, that God says, no, it doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> and so this was my hometown, and I really just didn't have any love lost for it at the time. And God said, as I, my feet hit the tarmac, he said, you're going to build a work for me in this area. And I walked immediately. We climbed some stairs back up into the airport, and we're walking through the airport. And Fred Smith of FedEx had just released a new... PR campaign for FedEx, and it said, huge banner stretched across the whole chute there. What do they call it? Those ABCD, the, the terminals. Yes, thank you. Stretched across the terminal. It says, start something new in Memphis. <laughs> and I, I'm standing there, and Dawn says, what is wrong with you? I said, I'll talk about it later. <laughs> so we get our luggage, and so we're visiting for a week with parents, with on both sides, grandparents, and everybody's making over Drew and what a pretty baby he is and yada, yada, yada. And, and, and a couple of times Don said, said what, was, what was wrong with you? You stopped and everybody's waiting on you. You're standing at the end of the tarmac there and I'm blocking. People are, Don's going, go! And, and, and then she says, and then you did the same thing in front of that sign. And so it was a few days before I even told her, I said, Don, we're going to come back here and plant a church. And she said, shut up. <laughs> really? I mean, she, was, she felt the same way I did. And so 
there's so many details that happened over the next few months. We submitted it to the leadership, and they blessed it, and they sent us. When the market was filled with a glut of houses, and it was 150% a buyer's market, and people were stealing houses practically because the, there was such a glut in the market, nobody was making any money. We left and sold ours at a profit and came home with thousands of dollars and a check in our, in our hand. We sold ours for more than we had paid for it more than we owed on our loan. We actually made a profit when we left town. And that's one, one praise of a whole host of them of my story that's part of your story. Because when we got to town, it was right after Thanksgiving. And there are details here that I can't put in this because I don't have time this morning. Because we've got to get to where the Panthers beat the Broncos today. I know that. <laughs> and again, I'm just kidding. I don't care. Um, but we, we, we got here. And my brother was attending a, a, a mixed co-ed kind of uh, aerobics training type thing down on Broadway, and one of my high school friends was there. I said, hey, how's Mike doing? And Dewey says, well, he and his wife and their little boy have actually come back to town. They're going to plant a church. And she said, you're not serious. And Dewey said, yeah. I said, they've come back to start a church. They, you know, they, they, it's just them. They're just, it's a total act and a work of faith, trusting God to do this thing. And she said, I need to talk to Mike. And Dewey said, why? He said, well, because she said, because we have a small group that's been meeting for two years and we've been praying for God to send us a pastor. It's one of those coincidences, you know? So... I, I, they called and I said, you know what, this is the holidays, let's just meet after the first of the year. I, had, I was in no rush. Uh, I had already worked through the fact that I was coming back to my hometown and I'd fallen in love with the idea that God was with me and he was going to bless this. And, and so I said, let's just wait. And, and you know, they called me back two more times. They said, look, we've been praying two years. We just, we can't wait. You can't do us this way. We need to know if you're God's man or not. So I said, okay, well, let's at least get through Christmas. Come on over at the next few days after Christmas, 27th or so, we gathered in my mom and dad's front living room, and I took three hours and poured out to them what my vision of what I believe, at the time we called it Victory Fellowship, what it was going to be. And um, at the end of it, there was probably 10 people in this group sitting there. They told me there was 30. Now, I never saw... The whole 30. They never came. They, I, I, I'm going, okay, this is some evangelistic speaking from the beginning because I never saw who the 30 were. We had about 10 who showed, and he spoke up, and he says, or one guy's named Paul, he said, you know what, I really can't speak for anybody else, but I've, I've listened for these three hours, and we've asked questions back and forth. It wasn't just me talking. We were just having a conversation. And he said, I really just want to say right now, I believe this is God's man, and as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do. We're going to meet with Michael and Dawn. And so... A couple of them followed suit. I think we ended up having maybe three families out of it. Really, some folks had liked the idea of church planting, but when they found out all the work that it was going to take, they kind of backed out because they didn't want to be that committed. Don't shout me down now. Uh, and let me just say this. If I had this to do all over again, I would do that part entirely different because in those days, in the late 80s, I was a part of the whole praise and worship movement, and we were... Uh, going up and down the whole East Coast, advising local churches on how to build praise teams and bringing renewal and presence of God into their worship services and changing up things so that it wasn't so dead, dry, traditional only in that way, but to be, begin to bring, bring in a blend so that they could experience this renewal of the presence of God in those services. So I've, I've been a consultant, been doing that literally for years and years, 
And, and, and so we, we, we stepped out. The very first time we met officially was January the 8th, 1989, about 100 yards from here over in the, the conference room of the Ramada Inn. We rented it week by week. I took my mom's little Kimball spinet piano up there and left it in the conference room of the auditorium. And I would sit down and bounce my little fat body singing praise worship choruses. And then I'd stand up and preach and share. And we had about 22 people. And three months, they're about to renovate. They're tearing this thing all apart. And so I go to Phil Ford, and we end up down in one of those little 1,500-square-foot bays at 620 West Broadway across from Hamilton Schultz Stadium Field at the Blue Devils uh, West Memphis High School. So we're over there about three years, and we expand 1,500 into two bays, becomes 3,000 square feet, and we, on Sunday morning, get the third one. And we're starting to grow, and we're actually seeing 50, 60, 70, 75, 80 people coming and it literally took us probably three years to build a team because at that time, you didn't have schools that taught young ministers of faith and vision how to step out and build a team to go and plant a church. Nowadays, you take a couple of years and you get your, your, your worship pastor and you get your youth guy and your children's minister and two or three strong couples and you raise a quarter of a million dollars and you've got people behind you backing you so that you can pay people real salaries for three years before you're stepping out completely on your own. That's how people plant churches today in 2016. Let me tell you what Michael and Dawn and burping 11-month-old Drew did when we came to town. It's like Jack and the Beanstalk. I had a whole lot of faith, and Dawn is going, Who will come, Michael? Who's going to come? You don't know anybody. And I said, Honey, I don't know. I don't know who will come, but I guarantee you God's going to send them because he's given us a word. All we had was a word and we had faith, a whole lot of faith. Not a lot of wisdom, but a whole lot of faith. And it took two years just gathering some people together trying to see, are you going to be on this team? And folks would come and they'd go, no, this isn't for me. And let me just tell you right now, you know what one of the most amazing things is? Is that new young churches can come in here and on the back of 25 years of struggling, trying to show West Memphis that is very much a denominational town. You either, either have this name on you or you have that name on you and it's all connected to a headquarters and a denominational system and there has never ever been a successful non-denominational church in this city that's lasted more than five years before we've been here and we've lasted 26 years now. If nothing else, the blessing of God that I bring to you today is that we have endurance. We have not quit. And there are friends of mine Good, godly, solid men who preach better than I do and whose wives and husbands that walk together in God with great faith have gone in in two or three years, quit, picked up and moved to another city, tried two or three years, and quit. And I want to tell you one thing. If I can be an example to the next generation of anything, it's that I, I you know what, I'm a fat boy. This is not a sprint. I can't outrun a lot of fast folks, but I'll tell you one thing. This is a marathon. An old fat boy can keep putting one foot in front of another and just keep on trudging and just keep on trusting God in faith and saying, I will not quit. I'm going to. Hang on until I see this thing materialize and the fruit of the message of faith in my life becomes a building out there on that property. But you know what? The whole focus has never been on bricks and mortar. It's been about building people. Let me just set the record straight right now. 
We've got 30 acres that's worth three quarters of a million dollars and it's paid for. You don't owe a dime. I don't hold you long and take up second and third offerings in this place like I was raised in a church in Memphis. Sitting there as a 10, 11, 12-year-old going, God, if you ever honor the heart dream, the desire in my life, I promise you I will never shear the sheep the way it's happening in this place. And they finally had to shut it down after decades of ministry in a, in a sanctuary that would seat 3,000 people and they had less than 100 showing up on Sunday morning because they literally fleeced the sheep for so many years, so big building, so far over, really, their, their, their faith, far extending the wisdom of God. We could have gotten four or five acres 20 years ago and gone out and thrown up a shed. And let me tell you why we didn't. Because the mediocrity that is pervasive in this area, the short-sightedness, that is pervasive in this area, that is a stronghold that we speak to prophetically to pull down. If we did that, we would have gotten locked in that place and everybody would have been satisfied and said, hey, we've got a building, what else matters? And I have stayed in this place because it's been functional. I'm going to tell you, how many have ever seen that DIY or is it HGTV television show, Love It or List It? We've renovated and we've said every time we're going to love it. But this year, honey, we're going to list it in Jesus' name. We're not quitting. And what you're experiencing here right now, I I really, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to apologize for this. I don't know. You'll hear it however you hear it. But this church is here this morning because my wife and I have looked at each other and said, baby, when people come and go and they're fickle and they get a bad attitude and leave, we are still here. We are not going to quit. You can say amen or not. It's the truth. And so this morning I honor her because when I've been ready to pack it up, she said, now hang on just a second, Michael. I know I asked you who was going to come and I told you to shut up when you said it first. But I'm telling you, I know that you heard from God now and I know that we're in the place the Lord has called us. And I want you to have a little bit of a connection, a little bit of a picture with our story. Now as we move from our past and how God has spoken to us, there was a season there. There was 15 years where we labored under 100 people. And let me just say this to you. I take full responsibility for that because I experienced a leadership crisis and lost some key people, and I took it personally, and it wounded me very deeply. And because of that, I pulled in and basically just tried to protect the vision and became super controlling. I became part of a church planting network that began to stretch my heart and stretch my vision to say, you can't stay like this. You're going to have to grow. Grow your leadership. Grow your team, grow your people, let them catch a vision, not just to be a nice little church in the community, but really to be a harvesting instrument for the delta in the kingdom of God. And so my my own vision began to grow again. And what happened, I went back to school to pursue a graduate degree. And because of the time that it took doing that and pastoring this church at the same time, it required me to delegate some things that I had been sort of keeping under my own tabs myself. And I was the only full-time guy on staff. And let me just tell you, it was a humble approach on my part. I wasn't trying to be king. I felt like, hey, you're the only full-time person. Don't try to tap all these other people that are busy, maybe working a job or two to try to do stuff that, that you've got the time to do. And that's how I felt. I justified it by that. But I didn't realize that by doing that, by not delegating, I was capping the leadership and not giving people an opportunity to step up and grow in their leadership 
which hindered the church from growing. And so we kept it capped at 100 or less for 15 years. And I stepped out to pursue this graduate degree and the requirement had to be that I had to delegate some stuff. And without even trying, we organically just began to grow. We broke 100, we broke 125, we broke 150, we were headed to 200. And so from 06 to 08, we began to just grow. People showing up, good spirit in the place, presence of God here, same word that I'm preaching now, same intensity and passion, kingdom-driven, the way we talk, gospel-centered, all of those things were factors. None of that has changed. But something changed in me. I just kind of let some things go and started making a real deliberate attempt to try to trust some people again. How many of you know if you've been burnt a few times? It's like Twain. Mark Twain said, you know, if your cat ever gets burned sitting on a hot stove, it'll, it'll never get burned again. Neither will it ever sit on the stove again. And so it's just kind of that thing of, okay, am I willing to step out and trust again? So I take that step and begin to. 06 through 08, we began to just grow organically. Now, I'm giving you where we are, where we are, if you're not, point number two, our current status. We met in, in 2010, and we started talking about values. And this is the first time that I've ever really rolled these out on a Sunday morning. This is six years ago. We, we were instructed by my pastor in the church planning movement, which we were part of at the time. He said, now, don't go preach these in the next three months, Michael. Don't put it up on a nice brochure because if you do, the people will just say amen and they'll forget it. You guys as the leadership have to labor to embody this in what you're doing. And so six years ago, we began to one value at a time each year really begin to take steps and labor to begin to live these things. And this is what they are. Our values are as such. Number one, <clears throat> we intentionally create an environment. Everybody say environment. Now, environment's not just cool lights and new sounds and multiple keyboards and guitars and, and really cool stuff in Kingdom Kids. If you, I mean, Victory Kids. If you don't get a chance, you should check that out before you go home because they've got a whole NASCAR, big rubber tires and all kinds of stuff. They change out that stuff every month, and the kids love it. It's just amazing what Pastor Haley does, okay? So we intentionally create an environment. The environment's not just cool lights and colors and nice songs and a handsome youth pastor and a pretty and very, 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 very uh, capable children's minister and a really super good-looking lead pastor. It's not about any of that. It's really not about any of that at all. But it's about an environment of grace. It's about grace here where we love each other and, and, and the fact that you'll laugh at a pastor's bad jokes. Okay, thank you. But we have a good time. And we just try to show people that being a Christian isn't all of this legalistic, pharisaical, holier than thou, you know, sucking on a persimmon, drinking pickle juice. Do you love Jesus? Yes, I love the Lord and I have joy. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, that's, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but you know what I'm talking about. You've been to church like that and we, I, I, I don't want any of that. I'd rather, hey, listen, if that's church, I'd rather just go hang at the country club. Does that offend anybody? Okay, that other Pharisee got that one with that. All right. We intentionally create an environment, grace-based, kingdom-driven, gospel-centered, presence-focused. Holy Spirit is here. He's in this place. I refuse to go through the motions, whether they be Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal or Catholic or charismatic, or Presbyterian, or whatever, any of the Heinz 57 varieties of the body of Christ there might be, go through the motions and everybody show up except the Holy Spirit. 
I want him to be here because that's the transformational power that will change people's lives. It isn't, it isn't a good-looking pastor who can communicate. It isn't a great, amazing praise team or a funny, hot Latino who can get everybody excited or this amazing children's minister. Do I need to edit some of this later? I don't know. Caliente. <laughs> all right. We intentionally create an environment where we, number two, they're all ease. We embrace diversity in our community because the kingdom of God is red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in his sight. And, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm going to tell you, I'm so excited about one thing. I heard I brought in an audition to coach Ray Rideout. Are you here, coach? Are you here this morning? He's not here. He came in and he sat down and he told me he'd been playing piano since he was three. And oh, I got to sit down. <laughs> oh my gosh. He, he touched the keyboard and I just said, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to tell you. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm so excited about this because this, this crowd up here has been too white for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling the truth. And so coaches kind of come over. He's going to be adding to the keyboards and mm, can he? Now listen, he doesn't sing. He can sing. Now, I'm not making fun of anybody. That's the way my mama said it. She said, that one is anointed to sing. That's the way my mama said it that way. If Mary Agnes said, mm, she can sing. Now, I'm telling you. Now, the, the tense of the grammar is not right, but I knew what mama said when she said, mm, he can sing. So I'm excited. I'm excited to begin to see some different representation on this platform so that we can show people that, that it's not white or black. It's not, it's not old or young. It's not Methodist or Baptist. It, but it's the body of Christ. And it's new and it's old and it's modern and it's city and it's country. And it's all of this beautiful tapestry mixed together. And we embrace the diversity in our community. The next one, we engage people with the life-giving message of the gospel, the life-giving message of Jesus. I was sitting with Chris Wilson uh, Friday. We were, we were sitting in Funky's, a new coffee shop in Marion. You should, you should go and give them some business. And we're sitting drinking coffee, and he's talking to me about being years ago in a drama ministry right the week of 9-11. They're ministering in a New Jersey church. And 9-11 hits, and the planes bomb or you know, run into the, the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, and he talked about how the churches were exploding the next few weeks. And I sat with him and I said, you know, I wonder if for a moment there, people were crying out to God. And when they went to church, they saw that there wasn't anything new and fresh, but it was the same old. And so it only took them a few weeks to go, you know what? I went here in hope, but I'm not getting anything. And they fell out again. It was a season when our nation was praying, crying out to God. And then it just sort of fell off and waned. And, and I'm not in any way throwing stones or rocks at any other churches in the city because they all are doing what they feel like they're called of God to do. And that's why I'm not ashamed in any kind of way to say we're not going to do their way. We're going to do what, the way God has called us to do it. And it's not the same as everybody else. We don't in any way think we're any better than. We just think we're called of God to do it this way. And the only standard we're being judged by is how God has called us to do it, whether we're doing a good job or not. And so... We 
We've taken this last year. We've had all these leadership summits. The next piece is we want to develop leaders. We want to equip Christ followers to lead in every area of life. We bring in Pastor Chip, and last September we brought in Pastor Ray McCollum, who took the weekend and talked about the power of a God-given imagination. And Chip, this last time, just the last weekend of, last weekend, it was in January, he talked about leading in a transitional season, where we are right now, between leaving this building and getting into the new one. And so just powerful, powerful moments to equip us. And then lastly is to excel in maximizing our resources for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's not only, not only about our money, but that's about the resources sitting out here, the people, the talent sitting in this room, the, the skills, the organizational abilities, the, those who can sing, those who can teach, those who can build, those who can motivate, those who can exhort, those who can challenge, all of the giftings that are sitting out here, finding out about them and plugging people into, getting a yoke around their neck that fits them so that they can pull the plow across the field for the sake of planting seed in the kingdom of God. The delta might produce the fruit for the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. So... I want to share with you some areas of growth. The last 10 years have seen growth that the first 15 didn't have. And I take responsibility for that first 15. I kept it. I didn't know that I was doing it. But I learned some principles. I learned some leadership principles that changed. 05 to 09, we began to see organic growth just because of demanded delegation. I was busy and had to delegate things. 2010 through 2012, we saw significant growth. And in 2011, we began to actually keep a very specific set of metrics we measured we, we measure two services people in chairs we don't count children in all the rooms we don't count the praise team people in serve shirts we count so we have an extremely conservative number when I tell you this is our attendance it's not counting kids and all the other and by the time you add all that it's easily on any given Sunday adding another hundred plus people to the number that I would share so we're counting people in this room bodies in seats Okay, uh, 2010 through 2012 was significant growth, and I have to stop and give honor to whom honor is due. Alex Blankenship walked alongside me and was a friend that had been meeting with me and praying with me, and the Lord spoke to him to join us for a season. And Alex had great ability as a leader and team-building skills uh, when we're first dealing with these things and making changes in 09, we made some changes and we lost about five families because they didn't like the changes we were making. Now, how many of you know growth is going to bring change? How many of you know change doesn't always make everybody happy? Because some folk like it the way it is and they think it ought to stay that way for the rest of their lives. And let me just say to you right now, we are not going to be, we will not be a maintenance culture around here where you think that the leadership's calling is to keep you happy. But let me tell you what we are. We are a reaching culture where we reach for the lost and we reach for the next generation and we reach for a new way to communicate to a group of people in the community that the rest of the churches are not reaching. I remember sitting with some pastors a few years ago and they were concerned about the growth that we were experiencing and I just looked at them and I said, let me just say to you right now, you don't have anything to worry about because what we do will not appeal to the people that's going to your church. We are not after your sheep. I am not a sheep stealer. And let me tell you what I've practiced for years. When somebody shows up here and I know they've been a 20-year member somewhere else, I call the pastor and say, hey, Jerry and Sue Bottlestopper are down here at my church. Is everything okay? Do I need to send them back? What's going on? 
They've never had a pastor in town respect them enough to treat them that way to say, hey, listen, let's be the body of Christ because there are folks who get offended someplace and instead of staying and working it out and maturing in the process, they get mad and leave and go somewhere else and it takes that poor young church planting pastor two years to figure out what's wrong before all the hits the fan, whatever that was. I'm preaching real good, don't shout me down. And so I just want to say to this, we're not looking for anybody else's sheep. What we're doing is deliberately trying to reach a sector of the population that are not even going to church and to show them that church is not the way it used to be. This is not your father's Oldsmobile. Some of you remember that old commercial. Because things have changed. The message is the same, but the methods have changed. Come on, somebody say amen. Alex came in, he, I was frustrated, and he said, I want you to sketch out your organizational chart. And the wisdom that he had, he knew ahead of time what it was. It was me and 25 people reporting to me. He said, you're going to, this is suicidal. He said, you can't do this. He said, you need to, to, to shorten that 25 people reporting to you to not more than three or four. And then three or four of them have three or four reporting to them. And three or four of them, and you delegate this thing and break it down into teams and actually delegate authority, not just entitle, but you really give them responsibility and you give them resources and you let them make decisions. And when they fail, you come along and encourage them and gently show them, constructively critique and help them to show them how to be better leaders. And I said, man, this is it. Run with it because I'm learning from you. And so for five years, we saw just tremendous blessing in that. And I just want to say to everybody right now, because this is the elephant in the room. You, you say, Pastor, you brought his name up. Last year, I was diagnosed with cancer. Actually, 2014, a, year, a little bit longer than a year ago. It was not a secret. It just happened so fast how we were able to go in and do the, the prostate cancer surgery. And, uh, and I'm recovering, and I'm thinking, hey, man, I'm on top of the world, and then get slammed with staph infection. And it literally took me months to recover from that. That was worse than the surgery. And they left during that time. And I took it personally. And I'm going, are you kidding me? I mean, this is the lowest point. I've never experienced a point so low in my life. And I took it. I, offend, I was offended. And I know now that the Lord moves the, the, the army around. And I know that they're in a good place. And I love them dearly. And I'm so grateful to God for what Alex and Simone and their family brought to victory at the time that they did. Because we grew and we're blessed because of their wisdom. And so I want to thank God for that. And I'm not angry. I was hurt last year. And some of you walked with me through that. And it's just because the timing was bad. And this is not a church word, but I'm going to just tell you, let's just get, the timing sucked. It was just bad. It was awful. It hurt. And I'm going, this, this can't be God. And it's just, just dealing with things through those circumstances. But I love them dearly, and they are blessed, and they blessed us. And so I want to get that clear right now. We ain't mad at anybody, okay? We're thankful because God brings people in and out of your lives to enhance and to adjust and help you enlarge and to help you strengthen. Uh, what, what did the psalmist say in Psalm 4? You have enlarged me when I was in distress. How many you know this is a year of enlargement? How many you know nobody likes to get a bigger picture through that kind of a lens, being in distress, going through stressful circumstances? I know it's 12. Uh, let, me, let me finish real quickly. I'm going to give you some numbers. 2013, 2014, we plateaued. We had team issues we're trying to build teams, and folks don't really get it. Sometimes folks still around here, they go, what's the big deal about having greeters out in a coffee bar and, and, and greeting everybody like this? And, and I always want to go, listen, when guests come to your house, don't you make sure there's a fresh roll of paper in the guest bathroom? 
Don't you make sure the seat's down and things are clean? You got the carpet vacuumed. You've dusted the furniture. Why do you do that? Because you, you, don't, you don't want them just to come in everything just to be falling down around you. Well, maybe some of you do, but I don't know. I, in the kind of house I was raised, Mama said, you know, we got guests coming. We're going we're to we're get ready for guests. So guess what? This is the Lord's house. And he says, I want my, my family to come on and help me get ready for guests that are coming because lost souls are going to come through that door and, and we want to greet them. We want to love on them. We want to show them that it's important that they took time to show up today. That's why we do all that we do. That's why we have teams and team meetings. And we were struggling with our teams. Haley has since then to become, stepped in to become a team coordinator. And we've seen great understanding uh, grow under her leadership. And I'm so thankful for that. But 13, 14, we had team problems trying to build. And we had some dissonance on our leadership team. And, 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 and don't, don't be afraid of that. I'm just trying to be real. Honest to God, that's the difference in victory in a lot of other churches. They, don't, they, they play games and don't tell you exactly how it is. And that's what we won't do here. I'm going to tell you exactly. I'm going to talk straight to you. Right. Now, God forbid, I don't know what you think. And forgive me, Holy Spirit, if I shouldn't mention this guy's name. But the reason one guy is so popular in this presidential election, I'm going to honor his name, is because he at least says what most of the country is thinking. I didn't say his name, and that is not me telling you to vote for anybody. Because I learned a long time ago the gospel was bigger than the Republicans and bigger than the Democrats, and the gospel is about the kingdom of God. And there are good people in both of those groups that we need to stop thinking that if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be this, or if you have to be this. I'll leave that alone. I'm too, I'm preaching so good today. 2015, Sunday by Sunday, rolling over against it, comparing 14 to 15, we grew every week. Month to month, quarter to quarter, consistent increase. Let me just tell you, 15, we began to grow again every Sunday. Look at this room this morning. This, this room, for all intents and purposes, there are one, two, three, four, five, six seats right there, maybe one dotted back there. This room is full. I want to ask you... Those of you that are not brand new, you, if you're brand new, you've been coming three months or so. But those of you that have at least been coming for more, longer than three months and you're not on a team yet, let me tell you how you could jump in and help me with this vision. Let me tell you what I, can, what, I, what I ask you to do. I want you to pray about getting up earlier and coming and worshiping in the 9 o'clock service and then maybe hanging around to serve in the, the 1045, not in a seat. Because you want to know why? When guests come the first time, the likelihood of which service they will choose to come to is going to be the 1045. Now, if I ask you, this is change, this is stretching. Come on, remember the first of the month, first of the year, enlarge your tents, stretch, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, stretch out. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, he's going to stretch us. I'm praying for God to give me 30 people who will hear my cry and will be willing to give up your seat in the 1045 service and show up at 9 o'clock so we can make room for guests that are trying to get in the door and that are coming on Sunday morning at our 1045 service. We've put out chairs every week since the beginning of January. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. It's crazy. Guests are showing up. First time guests are here this morning. When, when people are in a, 
in a completely full room and they can't find, can't find a place, it creates an uncomfortability for them. And so I just want to ask you, this is where you can help, you can sacrifice. You may not be on a team yet, but you can get on team with me by being willing to get up a little bit early and bring your family, come check in, get in here in the 9 o'clock service. I'd love for all these youth to not just come to 1045. Come on into the middle with all of these older some of the older folks in, in the 9 o'clock service, and let's bring some energy into that. Come on, how many youth would be willing to help me do that? Ah, well, uh, the Lord sees who you are. That was a real weak patty cake there. I need help. Everybody say stretch. stretch. See, it's easy to say amen when you preach it. It's something else when I ask you, are you going to be willing to help me do it? I need 30 people to do that. All right? Don't make me have to call you on the phone and say, will you do it with your family? Come on. Hear the Lord, hear the voice. Fresh starts, 19, or 2014, we had 771 fresh starts, 220 salvations. 2015, we had 983 fresh starts. We had 191 salvations. And we differentiate between those because fresh starts can be people who, you know, last Sunday they may have had a fresh start and the, the message may touch them differently this Sunday and it may be another recommitment today in a different area to walk in faith and lay down doubt and fear and worry. Now, let me tell you where we're struggling. I don't know why, and we've wrestled this in our, our staff meetings, and I know that I'm over, but I'm, I'm, I've got something to say, and I'm trying to finish. We baptized six people in 2014. That ain't no good. I don't know why. I don't, where are we dropping the ball to let people to know that that step of being buried in the water and laying down the deadness of your past and being resurrected into a new life, the initiation into a whole new walk as a friend of God is critical. It's important. I'm thankful that in 2015 we at least doubled that number. We baptized 12 in 2015. Honest to goodness, it ought to be 50. It ought to be 50. We need to be baptizing, initiating people into their whole new walk in the kingdom of God. If there truly is a salvation experience, you need to take the next step, and that's to identify with Jesus in his death, his burial, his resurrection, bury the sins of the past, get out of that water with a whole new life. Come on, somebody give God some praise. 2014, our tithes and offerings were $432,218. 2015, they were $454,748. We saw an increase of $22,530. That's with several families leaving, being relocated, some big givers, and God brought in more. I've never, ever seen it. I remember in 2009 when we made some changes and one family kind of got mad and spouted off and said, well, we're just going to take our tithes and our friends and go somewhere else. And I said, I love you, but with that attitude, I promise you, God will send me 10 families. And, and you know what? He did it. You think that you're going to arrest and set and shut down the vision of God because you're going to take your tithe and go somewhere else? Please take it and the curse will be on you and not on me. Not on this vision. Because we've never looked to people, period. We have never, ever, ever, ever in any kind of way made this thing about money. It's, and it's never even been about buildings or bricks and mortar. It's been about building people for the kingdom of God. And if you know that to be true, say amen. Both children's and youth ministries had an attrition. They plateaued in 2014, but 2015 we saw an upsurge. We were actually minimizing classes and reducing them in 2013 and 14. 2015 we began to grow again. And let me just say to you, all of you 
Moms who use the mother's room, we love you, but we're going to stretch you a little bit. Let me tell you why. Because you're going to bring all the infants' babies back into the mother's room because we don't have room in all of our classrooms. We're growing and busting out at the seams all around in our children's ministry. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Every week, Pastor Jeremy, I see a bigger crowd. I looked in here, peeked in the last Wednesday night, and they had this whole platform filled with kids holding microphones, singing. They're training for the next generation when they're going to be leading us in worship, some of them in our new building. Let me tell you why we can't stay where we are. Number one, there's not enough space. Number two, we don't have a functioning HVAC system. The old units that are on top of this building are held together. It's called a redneck toolkit. They're held together by duct tape and by bailing wire and by the huge heart of David Smith with Delta HVAC. He's gotten up there and rewired and rehooked and, and duct taped and bailed and everything he could. And he basically said, Pastor, it's time. We're going to either have to buy something new or we're going somewhere new. And I said, Brother, we're going somewhere new. We're not going to love it. We're going to list it. Come on. We can't keep investing in something that belongs to somebody else. Go ahead and put up the slides. This is different from the one I showed you at our, servant, our serve team meeting. These two buildings or these two huge rooms were actually out on front and we've bumped them, sort of bumped everything to the back. We started out with a whole, uh, what's the word that I could use, a ample supply of restrooms here in this area. But since then, we've added a single one there and 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 one in the staff ministry. So staff has its own that they can use. So we're never, ever, ever going to be standing in line needing bathrooms anymore. Are everybody with me? Now, I'm almost finished. I know that the pregame to the pregame to the pregame is come on now. Uh, but just hang with me because the Lord remembers his servant Cam anyway. Okay. All right. Go ahead and, and, and now let me just stop. Look, look here. We have an auditorium that seats 428. Guys, for the first year... We're going to combine everything. It won't be a 1045 service. It won't be a 9 o'clock service. It will be a 10 a.m. service. We'll finish by 1115. You can beat the Baptist to the buffet. <laughs> We're going to worship together for those months. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think we'll last a year because I think we'll have to go back to a 9 and a 1045 because of the crowds, because I think we're going to see crazy growth when we get in this facility. But we're going to be able to worship in one service together for at least several months, maybe almost a year, so that we can really get to know the congregation. Because it's, and some of you feel like it's two different congregations. Because you go, you talk to somebody in, in Kroger and you go, hey, listen, I want to invite you to my church. And they go, well, I come to the 9 o'clock service and you're in the 1045. <laughs> uh, that happens, okay? All right, so we will at least do that for a year. We've got uh, storage, kitchen, classrooms here. Let me tell you what these are back here. They're about 20 by 20, which is 400 square feet. Every one of these is at least 750, if not 800 square feet in terms of classroom space. So some of them are going to be divided into two to give us some room to be able to have more classrooms and then continue to grow. Now, the way this plan is, it's real easy to just continue on back behind it and bust out that sanctuary and go like this, okay, as we build. It will be seated about midway back in the very middle of the property as you drive by out there, okay? Um, this is the offices for all the staff, student pastor, uh, worship pastor, children's pastor, um, 
administrative assistant, a double office for some other folks who may be working in reception. So we'll hire somebody to do that, take that off of Heather. Um, parking primarily up and, up and around this side initially, and then as we grow, probably to the back, but we've got room to grow to the back that way. Okay, now let me go ahead and show you some front elevations. We just got these yesterday from our architect. This is black and white. We have a great big huge cross right up in the middle of a glass stand. That hole, that will be total glass. So you walk into this big, beautiful high ceiling lobby. The lobby will be big enough to put out tables and seat 200 people in a banquet in there. That's how big the lobby will be in terms of walking forward, seating areas, uh, cafe, which will be kind of over there in that corner. This primarily is the office complex. And then that's the whole children's arena over here on this side. Not arena, children's area, sorry. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm talking in faith already. All right, so you've, you're seeing some different angles there, and this is going to be tweaked a little bit. You're seeing two doors there, which actually that'll just be glass, but we'll have the capacity to change to doors later if we want to, you know, we grow and that becomes a, an area for like a youth ministry or something whatsoever. Um, I really see the youth ministry growing and actually having its own building in the not-too-distant future beyond this. Uh, and when I say building, I'm talking about basketball court, all, you know, pool tables, foosball tables, all kind of stuff where they come in and have a great place to play and then share the gospel and groups and all kinds of things going on. So uh, that's really Pastor Jeremy's purview. But that's, now this gives you a little bit of color. This is going to be a mixture of split block, gray brick, and reclaimed timbers, and reclaimed brick or stone. Now, if I can give you any kind of an idea in terms of the vibe on the inside of it, it's going to kind of be a little bit like Bass Pro Shop. It's going to have a lodgy feeling to it, okay? Now, the reason we love this, it would be the worst thing we could do with our super contemporary loud music service to go out here and throw up an A-frame building with a cross and a steeple on the front and people show up thinking that we're going to do three hymns, first, second, and fourth verse because the architecture is a message itself too. And so we want to show something that is both old and new, modern and ancient. It's, it, it, it's look here, I, I, this is the idea with the timbers and the, that glass behind it is beautiful. Go ahead and go through, Brendan. We've got some things here I want you to see. This is, uh, we've, we've taken ideas from about a dozen different buildings and we put them all together. Okay, go ahead next. Um, if you see the reclaimed timber, Look how cool that is, okay, with wood. That'll be one of our walls. This is like behind the stage. That's like timber and, and stone, all right? Uh, obviously, everything lighting, very modern in terms of media. I know I'm so bad over. Forgive me, it's 1215, and I, they tell you don't keep pointing to how, well, how late it is. Uh, but I, I know everybody's trying to get out of children's ministry. Okay, let's wrap this up. Did you have any other pictures to show me there, Brennan? Okay, where we're going, our destiny. Uh, first of all, are you excited about that? Put your hands together. Give the Lord praise. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I want this whole reclaimed, restored thing. Is because the gospel is not about... God is not going to blow this whole thing up and make everything brand new. The Bible says He's making all things new. Didn't say He was going to make all new things. It says, behold, I'm making all things new. So the beauty of that is that he takes the junk of your life, he reclaims it for his glory, he restores it and knocks the dust off and, and delivers you from sin and sets you free and gives you freedom and puts a fresh coat of polish on it 
and he builds that into something that's amazingly beautiful and he reclaims it and restores it for the kingdom of God because he takes what's old and broken and he makes it new and fresh for the glory of his kingdom. Come on, somebody. So the whole ministry, the whole building, the whole church is going to be this vibe of God taking old things and broken things and restoring them. I have a vision I'm going to go to Black Dog Salvage in Virginia and I'm going to buy this amazing people of this amazing, uh, uh, beautiful stained glass that we're going to hang there in the lobby so that we can set up chairs and we can have a wedding chapel of about 50 to 75 guests and backlit, gorgeous stained glass. Stained glass that used to be in an older church that may have gone by the way. And maybe the church died, but we take it and bring it back again because it's heard and it's, it's witnessed the singing of the voices of the praises to the glory of God. And we're going to polish it up and clean off the dust and we're going to show that God takes old things and he makes them new again. Come on, somebody. And, and, and so that's the vision of all of this. Let me, let me just say this and I'm done. Where we're going, our destiny. Al said this this morning and, and as he led, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to bring good to the power. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. We have regional challenges in this city, in this area. Regional challenges, number one, is fighting apathy. Apathy. I'm not finished yet. Put it up for me, guys, if you would. Apathy. This is a huge thing, the indifference. Just really don't care. Secondly is mediocrity. Just really just slapping it together and really doesn't matter that we're trying to represent the glory of God. We, we, we don't want to just get by with a C. We don't want to just have the student attitude that says, you know, I'm not going to go for an A because all I need is a C just to get out of this class. We don't want to be mediocre. We want to be excellent for the kingdom of God. And that's one reason why we didn't buy four or five acres and go slap up a shed 20 years ago because it would have stayed in a mediocre, satisfied state. Prejudice. Prejudice is all over this community. It's not just white and black, but it's denominational. It's Christian, non-Christian. It's rich and poor. It's privileged and non-privileged. It's everything you can imagine, all kinds of prejudice. And God is going to break that in this people here so that people can see a demonstration of what the kingdom of God is all about. So that we can see a platform with red and yellow, black and white. And we can see leaders. We can see elders. We can stand on this platform in the future. My vision, and I'm not just going to go anoint some token Asian or token African American. It's not what it's about. But it's about, God, I want to be a demonstration to this city to show people that we're investing in people. It's not about, as Dr. Martin Luther King said, it's not about the color of their skin, but it's about the content of their character. Poverty, poverty all over this city. Not just money, but mindset, mentality. Finally, Victory Church will be kingdom-driven. It will be gospel-centered. It will be presence-focused. And it will be grace-based. That's our, that's our foundation. That's our history. That's our destiny. That is never going to change. I'm so excited. So excited about the prospect of what God has before us. And, and I know I've been long this morning, but please, in this moment, let's just bow our hearts together and ask God to lead us. Lord, in Jesus' name, thank you for the family that's here. Thank you for, Lord, guests are here. And, 
Help them, Lord, to see our hearts, to touch the delta. Lord, to see the...